So it snowed this morning. Perfect. It gets you in the Christmas mood. This is the time of, of, of good cheer. This is the time of happiness. This is the time where we, we get together with family and friends and we don't have a problem in the world. Everybody's in a, in a good mood. And I, somehow I think we, we were supposed to have the happy pictures this morning of, of happy Christmas. This looks like we maybe don't have the right picture. What's the next one? Maybe that one's... No, that one's no better either. Somebody got the wrong slides in here. This is really messing up my, my sermon. Okay, a broken gingerbread family. We all like to really pretend that everything's perfect at Christmas, don't we? And we sing those songs and uh, well, even, even the secular songs, even the songs that don't have, have anything to do with faith are all about peace and joy and contentment and happiness and, and well wishes. And, and there is a lot of that this time of year. There's no question about it. But we also are realistic enough to know if we look around at all in the world in which we live that there more often than not, we maybe feel a bit like the broken gingerbread family. Things aren't quite as perfect as we would like them to be. We want to talk about warmth and love and celebrating relationships. And yet this time of year, maybe, maybe more than any other time of year, there's a sharp focus on our brokenness on the things that, that aren't right with the world. I was, I was doing some, uh, some surfing on the web looking for some Christmas books uh, that maybe I would want to read this year. And I came across three uh, that I haven't read yet, so I can't officially endorse them to you. But certainly the, uh, the titles were intriguing to me. One's a small children's book, and the title is, Are You Grumpy, Santa? Oh, well, that would be a great book for the kids. I didn't know this, but John Grisham has written a book called Skipping Christmas. So Grisham has just said, it's better just to, just to pass the whole thing by and, and not even bother with it. And then the other one I, I saw that I thought is a must-read this time of year, especially for young families. The title of this book is, Mom, I Hate You. Now, here's the subtitle to this book. This is, this is tremendous. Um, you can't make me. You're stupid. I wish you were dead. From embarrassing public displays of defiance and snide remarks at the dinner table to shocking outbursts of hate and anger. Three through five-year-olds. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a book I want to run out and get and read. But you know what? All of those books, you know, Santa, you're a little grumpy. You know, Mom, I, I really don't like you right now. All that kind of speaks to what we all know to be true, that this world is a broken place. And as much as during this time of year we'd like to feel good about the world around us and the snow certainly makes it you know, beautiful outside, and, and I plan on going around and looking at Christmas lights at some point today, we have to acknowledge that, that there is within the human race something drastically wrong. Maybe it comes out in your life with, with some angst with, with the family. You know, everybody's coming to, to Christmas dinner and, you know, you kind of wave and you smiles that come, but you're really waving smiles that are leaving. You know, you're, you're happy to get it over with. Maybe there's a lack of friendship in your life and someone who you thought was close to you betrayed you. Maybe there's somebody who was here in your life last year that is, that is gone this year and, and, and there isn't that relationship, or maybe you've just looked at the world long enough that there just simply is this illusionment in your life. You know, this message of hope and joy and peace, don't bother sharing it with me. I see the world for what it really is. And the question is not whether or not we live in a broken world, but how did this, how did this happen and is there any hope for us? Where did this alienation begin? Because in some senses, the alienation is directed toward, towards God. It's like, you know, God, where are you in all of this? You know, I go to church, I hear the preacher talk about your love and your grace, but, but do you really care about me? 
Do you really care about the brokenness in my life? And when you begin to ask those questions, and when you begin to live in that place, which all of us do from time to time, and maybe more often this time of year than we'd care to admit, it ends up making its way into our lives in the relationships of our lives. And so we end up being the the grumpy Santa, so to speak. But we're really asking the question, does anyone really care? Is there anybody there that really uh, can make me feel worthwhile? And can I do that for anyone else? More than any other time of year, perhaps Christmas exposes the sin and the pain in our lives. The question is, is there a prospect for anything that really would remotely resemble a a true healing? Or are we destined to be the broken gingerbread family and the best thing we can do is simply medicate it by ignoring the problem or having a couple of extra eggnogs on Christmas Day? I have three goals this morning that really aren't my goals. They really come out of this text in Ephesians that we're going to look at in a minute. The first one is try to identify the cause of this alienation. How does this come about? My second goal is for us to consider in this passage God's response. Does God care? I think that's a fair question to ask, and I want to know what he has to say in response. And thirdly, I hope for us to see an opportunity that presents itself to us as we see uh, what God is doing in our lives. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 22, and then I'm going to, I'm going to go over to Ephesians 4, uh, but I'm just going to read the Ephesians 2 passage first, and then we'll, we'll read Ephesians 4 a little bit later on. We're going to use this as a springboard for this discussion. So follow along in your Bibles or the passages on the screen. Beginning in uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 12, Paul writes this, "'Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ.'" alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments and the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Paul is talking to the, the Christians in Corinth, some of who are Gentiles and some of who are Jews. And he's saying, I know there's interpersonal conflict with you because of your heritage, because of your history, but Christ has come to, to build one new community that has perfect unity together. So he's talking about our relationship man to man. It says, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple to the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we, uh, we come now to worship you with our minds, with our intellect, with our uh, thought process. Father, we need a reasoned faith a faith that calls us to bury our heads in the sand and pretend everything is okay is no faith at all. Father, we don't need to be numbed from the pain in our lives. 
We need to understand its root cause and to ask the question, can there be true healing? So, Lord, I pray that we would approach your word this morning with honesty. Even if we don't share that honesty with anybody else, that we would be willing to ask the question about our alienation. Be willing to hear your response and the opportunity you present us. Father, we don't need man's words. They're finite. They're limited in their scope. Our understanding only goes so far as our education and our experience. There's so much more in the world that we don't know than we do. Father, we need your eternal truth. Every one of us, from the man who preaches the sermon to every person in this room who listens. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say this morning. Forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way. What you want to teach us this morning, Lord Jesus, come. Speak to your people. Gather here, I pray in your name. Amen. What causes this alienation? How did the the broken gingerbread uh, family come about? What uh, is the root cause? Uh, And and how does Paul explain that for us? That's my first goal this morning. And I'm going to look primarily, I'm not going to put the verse on the the screen, but but I'm going to quote out of it. I'm going to look primarily to the answer that's found in, in verse 12, of chapter 2, where Paul says, remember that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What Paul is describing here is the net result of my rejection of God. When I say I don't want God in my life, I don't need God in my life, I, I reject the premise of Scripture that through Christ I can have salvation. What is the net result of that decision on my part? And Paul breaks it down very clearly. The first thing he says is you're separated from Christ. In other words, you are without the benefit of his presence in your life. If you go through your week, if you go through your month, if you go through your year, uh, and you reject the claims of Scripture, and you, you don't open you know the Word, you don't study it, you don't consider it, uh, it ought not be a surprise to you, it ought not be a surprise to me if that's how, how I live, that I will not have the benefit of knowing Christ in my life. And, and that might be my choice, but it leads to a spiritual isolation. It, means to me, it leads to me being alone, trying to figure it out all by myself. And Paul says to the, to the folks who had become Christians in the city of Ephesus, before you came to know him, you were separated. You didn't have the benefit of being around him. Uh, we figured out pretty early on in, in our experience as parents with our daughter, Katie, who is a wonderful young woman uh, and, and a delight to, uh, to, to be around, but, but she was our strong-willed kid. And when I say strong-willed kid, I would mean if she was up here and I'd say, now, Katie, don't touch this candle. Don't touch this Advent candle. She would walk over and go, you mean, Dad, you don't want me to touch this Advent candle right here? I mean, that's, that was, the, uh, that was the, the, the child we were dealing with. Well, how do you, how do you direct a kid like that? How do you help them? Uh, without feeling guilty for, you know, for spanking them every five minutes of the day. We figured out that Katie hated being by herself. <laughs> we figured out that if we put Katie on her bed, sitting down with the door closed, and we went out in the living room, and the rest of us played a game together and laughed together and enjoyed the fellowship of the family as it was meant to be, that we would actually torment our daughter. And so that was our, uh, that was our plan of attack. We wanted her to understand that she couldn't defiantly disobey us and continue to enjoy a relationship with us. She couldn't have it both ways. Paul says you can't have it both ways with God. 
You can't say, God, I don't have anything to do with you, and then enjoy the benefits of his presence in your life. Paul says, you were separated from Christ. The second thing he says is a a bit odd to us in, in our generation, in our day and age. He says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, you have to go back to the Old Testament to understand what Paul is saying. When God began to institute his plan of salvation, he called Abraham out of the, out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to come and to be a separate and distinct people. And Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, the present day father, uh, the present day nation of Israel. Every person walking around the planet who is Jewish and their heritage comes from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his descendants. They were the people of God. God called Abraham and he said, through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. We're going to have a special relationship. And Paul is saying to the Gentile Christians, you didn't have any of that. God spoke directly to the people of Israel and you have been separated from that. You don't have that community in your background. You don't have that connectedness. Uh, Going back to kind of picking on Katie just a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm new to Facebook. I've been on Facebook maybe for about a year now, and I've probably been on my Facebook page maybe eight times in, in the last year. How many Facebookers do we have? If you have Facebook, come on, be honest, don't, don't lie. All right, we got a decent number of Facebookers. Um, I've, I've learned that there's one section of Facebook that's vitally important, and it's this little word. It's over in the left-hand column, at least on mine is, the left-hand column, and it says status. And status means you either, either write in there you're married uh, or you're single, uh, and if, but if you're single and now you're, you've started to hang out with somebody, it's getting pretty serious. You put in those little, in that little phrase, you put in relationship. <laughs> and I remember the day that Katie changed her Facebook page from, from single to in relationship. And I didn't know about it and I missed it. And the disaster that that spawned in our family by me not paying attention to the fact that my daughter was in relationship. Paul says, you you weren't in relationship. (laughs) You weren't part of the special family of God. He goes on to say, not only were you separated from Christ, not only were you aliens to to Israel, but you were also strangers to the covenants. Now, again, that's a bit of an odd phrase. What does that mean? Well, the covenant promises that God gave to, to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob that he would save the world that he would bring the Messiah, that, that, that this alienation we feel is very real. And it's due to the fact that, that our relationship with God has been broken. But God promises that he's going to be for us, that he's going to bring salvation. But, but, but apart from Christ, we're strangers to those promises. We don't realize that they are for us. Paul says when you put all of that together, separated, alienated, and strangers, you end up hopeless. You have no hope in the world, and you are without God. In other words, you're orphans. You're on your own. And what does an orphan do? An orphan has to look out for themselves because they have nobody else to take care of them. Isn't that a delightful Christmas message? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Paul says, this alienation that you feel, this if you at times feel like the broken gingerbread family, guess what? There's a reason for that. Because of our brokenness with God leads to a brokenness in humanity. Uh, a lot of you know Cindy works at Kirkwood High School. And a few years ago, she came to me and said, I, I want to do something for some of my, for some of my students. And she, and she has a lot of kids that she works with that are well below the poverty line. And she said, I got to do something for prom night for these kids because they're not going to have prom. And I'm thinking... How simple is it to have prom? You know, you buy a ticket, you get, you know, you get put, put a nice shirt on and, and you go to prom. And I just, it was t- so lost on me 
that, that these young men and women who are wonderful young people have so much going for them, except they, they basically, in, in many ways, in a sense, are living like orphans. And he said, I've got to do this because prom really is the only thing they have to look forward to. It might be the best night of their life. Now, I had a great time at prom, trust me, okay, back in 1976 and 1977, long time ago. But you know what? wasn't the greatest night in my life, not by a long shot. And to think that there's somebody in my community that, that that's going to be the, 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 the focal point, the pinnacle of their lives, because they, in a sense, have been orphaned. She said to me uh, a year or two after she started helping these kids, she said, you know, I've got a group of girls this year. They're seniors. They're wonderful girls. They've been with me all four years. They're not going to have a senior picture. Now, again, you and I think senior picture, you send your kid, hey, go over to the studio, get it done. Here's the check, and you don't even give it another thought. She's like, I got about six girls. They're not going to have any senior pictures. She found a woman in our church who's a photographer, and they got together, and for a very small amount of money, this gal made these women feel like glamour models. And these young girls had a delightful day. Why? Because somebody treated them like family. And several of you know that because several of you helped pay for those girls to have those pictures taken. My point is, when you're alienated, when you're separated, when you're strangers, when you're on your own, there's a direct correlation between that and hopelessness in a sense that you don't belong. And, and Paul says that's where we were spiritually apart from Christ. This broken relationship, the silence of alienation stems from our spiritual estrangement to God. Paul says in verse 14, he uses this phrase that Jesus has come and he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. If you look at it that way, that, that, that the, these walls aren't built to, to foster friendships, but rather these walls are built as monuments to the fact that man has an inability to live in harmony. So whether it's the, the Great Wall of tri- China trying to keep the, the Huns at bay, whether it's the, the Maginot Line that the French thought would, would keep the Germans from invading uh, as the Second World War broke out, whether it's in the present day Belfast in Northern Ireland with the, with the, wall, the, the, uh, the peace wall, These walls are not speaking to peace. They are speaking to the brokenness in our relationship. Spiritual alienation leads to broken human relationship, and that's the fact of the matter. And we can choose to ignore it, and we can choose to downplay it. We can choose to have just one more bottle of wine on Christmas Eve in order to try and ignore the fact that that's the reality of our lives, or we can face the fact head on and say, is there an answer? Is there a hope? Yes, this is a broken world. By the way, what does God have to say about it? I think that's a fair question. I think God claims to be Lord over this world. Does he understand this alienation in which we live? And how does he respond? Try and ignore the fact that that's the reason. What does God have to say about it? I think that's a fair question. I think God claims to be Lord over this world. Does he understand this alienation in which we live? And how does he respond? Well, the good news for us this morning is that God is very deliberate in his response. And I'm going to put some phrases back up the board. And, and if you're looking in your Bible, these are going to be found in verses 13 through 22. Uh, but the first one is this. Paul says to, 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 the, to the new believers in Ephesus, you have been brought near. Okay, So there comes a point where we said to Katie, open the door, come on out, and come and join the family. We went and got her and brought her back into the fellowship of our family unit. We said, now you're restored. Now you're back in the family. We brought her back in. And Paul says, you have been brought near. 
Paul goes on to say, not only have you been brought near, but through Christ, you have been reconciled to God. That means that there was something wrong. There was something broken in the relationship and it needed to be reconciled. I said something really spiteful to my wife about a week and a half ago and our relationship just snapped in half at that moment. Now, didn't last long. It lasted about three minutes. She went that way. I went that way. And about 45 seconds later, I went, I'm an idiot. I am a knothead of gargantuan proportions. If people in my church heard what I just said to my wife, they'd be asking for my resignation. Not only that, I've offended God. And beyond that, I've hurt a person who I love dearly. And I turned around, did an about face. She was in her closet putting some stuff up. And I went into the closet and I closed the door. (laughs) And I said, sweetie, I need to ask you to forgive me because I am an idiot. I can't believe I said that to you. And I needed to reconcile. I needed to make it right. But you know what? There's only one person that had the power ultimately then to make it right, and that was Cindy. She could say, you know what? I've had enough. Get out of my closet (laughs) in my life, but keep going. (laughs) Or could she say, I forgive you? And we were reconciled because she drew me back. She allowed me to experience forgiveness. We have been reconciled to God. Not only that, but Paul says in verse 17 that Jesus came to, for the specific purpose of preaching peace. Not peace, absence of conflict, nobody's yelling at anybody, but true relational peace where everything's right between us, where everything's good, where there are no unspoken words, where there is no uh, kind of brewing under the surface anger, but that we have genuine peace with one another. That was the message that Christ came to proclaim. And because of these things, because he drew us near, because he reconciled us to God, because he came and preached peace, what is the benefit? We are now fellow citizens with those who belong to the household of God, and we are actually members of the household of God. We don't just get citizenship in heaven, friends. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We are brought into the family of God. Now, I ask you this morning, how does this come about? Do you just go to church enough times? Do you just do enough good things? Do you just work hard enough to get God to say, now they've done enough, now she's done enough, now he's done enough, I'll bring him in and make him part of the family? No, look at who's active and who's passive. Look at the language itself. You have been brought near. You have been reconciled to God. He came and preached peace to you. You are now fellow citizens and members of God's household. Why? Because you're good enough? No. Because God actively loved you and actively loved me in Christ. If you go back and you look at that passage later on today, you'll see he says this. You were all of those things, alienated, strangers, separated, but you have been brought near, reconciled to God uh, through peace. How? Through his blood, his cross. God is in the business of restoring relationships. And friends, the key to discipleship, one of the keys to discipleship is understanding that God has done this. And it's not about me moving to him. It's not about me holding on to him. It's not about me doing enough good deeds, but rather it's me bringing my sin and laying it at the foot of the cross and saying, I'm alienated from you. And God does the work. God moves to me. He redeems me. He saves me. He enables me to believe in him. I get the benefit but I get none of the credit. When I was a sophomore in college, at Covenant College, I was the backup goalie on our varsity soccer team at Covenant. It was a pretty good team. Truth be told, I was actually the backup goalie my junior year and my senior year too, but that's not really all that important to the story. Um, 
the first seven games of the season, we went undefeated. First nine games of the season, I think we went undefeated. And we gave up maybe three goals in those nine games. And I played in seven of those nine games. And every week, we were in, the, we were in NAI school, small college. Every week, the NAI national office would, po- would send you uh, the, the rankings. It would send you the individual stats. And so you'd have the leading goal score. You would have the person that, the, uh, that, that had the, uh, the most assists. You would have uh, different rankings. Well, they would have a section there for the best goalies in the country. And my sophomore year, after these nine games were over, I had played in seven games. I was the number two ranked goalie in the nation. Second best goal in the entire nation for small schools. I had maybe played in those seven games, maybe 40 minutes of all those seven games, okay? I got in when the score was like 5 nothing, <laughs> And they're like, okay, Ricks can't hurt us. Go ahead and put him in. This will be okay. I, don't, I might have stopped two shots. I don't know. But the stat, the stat sheet didn't show all that. Didn't take all that into account. It just said he had played in this many games. He hadn't let any goals in. The only guy that was right higher than me had, had played in more games. I got to tell you, the starting goalie on our team was not real pleased about that because he'd given up three goals in nine games, and quite frankly, he just wasn't that good. (laughs) I got the credit that I didn't deserve. Friends, you get God's love. You don't deserve it. can't earn it. I can't either. It's a free gift. How does God respond to our alienation? He draws us to himself. He creates a pathway through the cross of Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because this little baby didn't stay in a manger. As much as I like Ricky Bobby, right? Those of you Ricky Bobby fans out there, it's not baby Jesus in the manger, right? Now I really scared a lot of people. Um, He grew up to be a perfect man and lived a perfect life that you can't live and I can't live and gave that perfect life in exchange for my imperfection on the cross and your imperfection on the cross. God restores relationship. What's the opportunity then for us? Well, I want to take you to chapter 4 and read the first three verses to you where Paul gives us the therefore statement. Because this, this amazing thing has happened. We were alienated, but God drew us to himself through Christ. God responded in grace. What happens next? I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Notice Paul is now saying you need to respond in a certain way, but notice that it's a response after salvation. Paul's not saying here's how you earn God's love. He's saying in light of the gift you have received, now you respond by walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. The question is, does my life, now that I belong to Jesus, does it reflect God's restorative work in my life? When people see me, do they see the passion and the commitment and the love of Christ that has captured me and now flows through me to them. You see, friends, this vertical relationship with God, this restoration has to go out into my relationships with you. Can somebody tell something about Jesus by spending time with me? Uh, I'm going to mention another movie that I, that I don't recommend because it's a, it's a violent war movie, Saving Private Ryan. Maybe a lot of you have seen that movie. And it, and it, is, a, it is an amazing film, but it is a very difficult film to watch. Private Ryan is a private, fictitious character in World War II. The, the movie takes place a few days after D-Day invasion. Uh, and there's a platoon led by Captain Miller, who Tom Hanks plays that character, that has to go into France and find Private Ryan and bring him out safely. And, and the movie is about that, that, that uh, experience. And they find Private Ryan, but where they find him is on the front lines. 
and the Germans are mounting a counteroffensive. So Captain Miller has to do two things. He has to hold in the balance, saving Private Ryan, but he also has to try to keep the Germans from taking this bridgehead, because if they take the bridgehead, they may be able to split the invasion in two and, and, and throw the Allies back into the sea. And so Miller decides that he and his platoon have to, to sacrifice themselves. They're outnumbered, but he is going to keep Miller, he's going to keep Ryan alive, and he's going to keep the Germans from getting this bridge. And at the very end of the movie, Captain Miller is laying up against, I think it's a Jeep, tire of a Jeep that's broken down. He's bloodied and he's dying. And most of the men in his platoon are already dead. A couple of them live, but most of them are already dead. They have given themselves for Private Ryan. And they've given themselves for, for protecting the, the Allied army. And as, as Captain Miller sits there dying, he pulls Private Ryan to himself, who, who's, he's kind of banged up, but he's basically uninjured, unscathed. He pulls him to himself and he whispers to him, you earn this. You earn this. What he was saying is, do you understand that these men have died for you? Go live a life that's worthy of that death. Jesus doesn't say, I want you to earn my love. Jesus says on the cross, I give it you freely. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. But now that you stand in my grace, live it out in your relationships with other people. So what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? The first thing Paul says is this. You need to do so with all humility, with all humility. My confidence is in Christ and what he's done for me. There's no room for human pride. There's no room for me to be arrogant or to be rude. Don't work for it. You don't earn it. But now, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? The first thing Paul says is this. You need to do so with all humility. With all humility. My confidence is in Christ and what he's done for me. There's no room for human pride. There's no room for me to be arrogant or to be rude or in any way self-sinking. When I interact with you, my family members, with the Kirkwood community, with, with, with whoever I come across, I do so in humility. I have a confidence. It is in Christ. I'm not a, I'm not a person that just is a doormat, but rather I have great confidence, but it's in Him and in His power, and I exercise that confidence in Him by graciousness and and careful, caring, and loving of you with humility. The second thing Paul says, not only with humility, but also with gentleness. I was trying to think about how to describe gentleness, and the best way I can come up with it is, if you've been here for a baptism when we baptize our infants, uh, at the end of the baptism, uh, when we've done, we're done with the sacrament, I'll take the little one, and I'll walk up and down the aisle. And I say to the congregation, after you're close to the middle, kind of step out, and you, know, you can lay a hand on the child, or you can you know, just welcome them to the Green Tree family. And so we walk up and down the aisle. Now, um, Typically, those children don't cry when I walk them up down the aisle. People said to me, man, you're so good with babies. No, <laughs> it's not true. I practice with them. Those children have been in my office with their mom and dad sitting and talking with me, and I've held them. They're familiar a bit with my voice. They know a little bit, as much as they can, of, of who this person is that holding them. And there is some sense of connection that's taken place probably in the last four or five days. I also asked the mom, what's the best way little Johnny likes to be carried? He's like, like this. Does he like to face forward? And I, I carry them that way. I set myself up for success in these baptism journeys up and down the aisle, right? I'm gentle. I'm careful. 
And when you guys come out and you lay a hand on them or you, or you whisper in there, welcome, welcome, little one, welcome. You don't say, hey, way to go, Johnny, good to see you, and knock them on the head. <laughs> you don't pick them up and say, hey, you're such a cute little baby, you know. You're gentle. You're compassionate. Could we say that about our relationships with one another? That I take great gentleness in the way I approach displaying Christ's love so that you can see that in a way that makes sense? Paul says, with humility, with gentleness. He also says, with all patience. With all patience. I think the pathway to patience is being fully aware of the struggle. Your struggle and my struggle. I don't ever look at you and say, well, why aren't you far enough along in your relationship with Jesus? Why do you keep messing that up? Because I know that I keep messing up in my own life. I'm having a great experience right now. I've got a little four-year-old friend named Caleb Dillard. Uh, the Dillards come to Green Tree. And Caleb and I go to the, to the ice skating rink up at Kirkwood every Friday because I've got to get this kid into hockey. We've got a whole generation of kids. We've got to get into hockey, and he's one of them. And uh, so Caleb's learned to skate. And I take Caleb, and I, and, I, and I got some skates, and I got him a little helmet. And we go up there, and, and we go around the ice. The first thing I did was teach Caleb how to fall down and get up. And one lap around the rink, Caleb falls down 10 times. You know, the first time we went, he fell down 30 times in one lap. Next time, 20 times. We went last Friday and skated, and he fell down about four times. I'm like, Caleb, this is so awesome. You're getting so great. You're, you're doing so wonderful. It's just superb, all right? And I'm patient with him as I'm taking him around the rink. Why? Because I remember as a little kid what it was like to skate, try to learn to skate, keep my ankles from falling in on themselves. The other reason I'm patient with him is he's not my own kid, <laughs> right? I can take it back home and go, here, mom and dad, <laughs> see you later, right? My boys probably would say, you weren't quite that patient teaching us to skate. But there's a sense of which I understand the struggle Caleb's going through. And I applaud his courage to get out there and hold my hand and try and try and go around the ice. Again, do we take that and understand our brothers and sisters in Christ around us, they're struggling just like we are. And I may need to say some hard things from time to time. You may need to say some hard things to me from time to time about growing in Christ, but do we do so with a perspective of patience? The other piece of this, Paul says, is that we bear with one another in love. That, that, that you belong to God. And he has entrusted some of your care to me. And so the way I approach you is that, that there's a patience and there's a willingness to love one another and to, to care for one another well because we understand what it's like to be loved by God. And then he wraps it all up in verse 3 by saying that you're eager to maintain unity. That, that you care about the body. You understand that we're stronger together than we are apart from one another. What would it look like if Green Tree was a community that thrived on this opportunity? That we understand that we were alienated by our own willful sin, but that God had been gracious to us, and now he has empowered us with, with the ability to love people in this manner. I think it would be a radically life-changing experience for every one of us. So where are we this morning? There are three places you could be this morning. The first is this, that you're still alienated from Christ. You, you know, you're, you're thinking about it. You haven't made up your mind. It's brand new to you. You never heard this idea before. Uh, and if that's the case, that's, that, we're glad you're here. We're not going to tell you how good we are. We're going to always try to point you to Jesus and tell you how wonderful he is and how much he loves and cares for sinners just like you. But you might be in that place this morning. You're alienated from Christ and you have no hope for true freedom from the effects of that alienation. I want you to know this morning, you are not alone and you are not hopeless. If you have questions about Christ, if you want to know him, if you want to know more about him, maybe you're not even sure if you want to put your faith in him, but you want to know that there's a safe person that you could talk to who actually would, would long for and, and desire the opportunity to just 
sit down and have a cup of coffee with you. They might not know you from Adam, but it would, they, they would get no bigger kick out of, out of introducing you to Jesus. I, I'm going to put this congregation on the spot for a minute. If you think that, just stay seated. This is not for you. But if you're a person that says, you know what, if there's a person sitting next to me that want to know about Jesus, I'd stop doing everything and we'd go right out to lunch right after church and I would love to talk to them about Jesus. I'm not putting pressure on you. If you're not comfortable with that, stay seated. But if you would be one of those people, stand up. Just right where you are, stand up. You don't have to go anywhere. Every person in this room is seated within 15 feet of somebody who would love to tell you that you don't have to be alienated from Christ anymore. You guys can sit down. Second place you might be this morning. Thank you, by the way, those of you that stood up. Second place that you could be this morning is that you're reconciled to Christ, but ignoring sin that creates human alienation. And this is the great disconnect. And this is why the world is confused about Jesus is because we, we who claim to be reconciled, we say, you know, I, I trust in what Christ did on the tra- cross. I trust him for my forgiveness of sin. Then I go out and treat other people in a pathetic manner. I don't love well. All those, all those opportunities for patience and humility and gentleness, I blow right through them. And it might only be in one specific area of my life. It might not be across the board. It might be with one particular person in my family. It might be with one sinful habit that I just stubbornly refuse to give up. It might be that, that I'm in a marriage where all I want to do is focus on what's wrong with my spouse and, and pridefully and, and, and ignorantly be refusing to apply the grace of God to that particular area of my life. And the way in which I treat my spouse is horrendous. And instead of confessing it, and instead of dealing with it and say, you know, that's a blind spot in my life, that's not the way, that's living in the alienation. I need to live in the response of God. Instead of doing that, we simply try to defend ourselves and explain why we're right and everybody else is wrong. And friend, you may be here this morning. You may be saying, I, I know Christ. But truth be told, there is one or two places in my life, there are one or two places in my life where I'm not applying the gospel. And for you and for me this morning, if, if we have those places in our life, this morning's a time of repentance. We're going to have a silent prayer in just a second at the, at the end of the service. It's going to be a chance for us to say, Lord, break that in me. Friends, how can I say I understand the grace of God and treat another human being with contempt? How is that possible? I know that we're not all the way home. I know we're going to continue to make mistakes. I know that as I fussed at Cindy the other day, I'm going to do that again before I die, unless I die before I get out of this building and see her at lunch today. But do I repent? Do I long for the grace of God to take hold as an anchor in my soul so that my greatest joy is to draw closer to Christ as he's drawn closer to me, even if that means me saying I'm the worst husband that's ever walked around on the planet? I'm the worst employer that anybody could ever have. It's the Ebenezer Scrooge moment. Tell me there's time to change this. Yes, by God's grace, we could live as if we actually believe this grace thing were true. And then finally, you might be in a place this morning where you're reconciled to Christ and you're actively seeking relational healing. You're actively seeking to, to live in this manner, but sometimes it's really hard. And maybe this time of year brings it out more than others. Maybe there's a family member that you've been working to be reconciled with and it just hadn't panned out. I just want to encourage you. Don't give up the fight. Jesus knows your pain. He understands the struggle. He hasn't said to you he's going to do everything in your timetable, in your way, exactly work it out the way you want it to, but he's promised he will be faithful to his grace in your life and in my life. 
And if you're at a moment of frustration, know that, that God understands that. Take that to him and ask him that when you're weak, that he would be strong and that his spirit and his word would live within you. Alienation is a powerful thing. Spiritual alienation devastates the world around us. But we celebrate Advent this morning. Christ has come that we could be reconciled to God and that we could have the opportunity to be used by him to reconcile others. Will you pray with me? As I said a moment ago, let me just give you a moment for silent prayer. Whatever is the cry of your heart this morning, I just invite you to take a few seconds and to share that with God.